Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Timmerman, and this past weekend was a really good sports weekend. Um, well, it was a fun sports weekend. I won't say it was good because the you know the Braves did lose. If you're a Braves fan, you know that. I actually didn't watch a ton of the early set of college football games on Saturday because I was watching the Braves. Um, obviously, the, the season ended on Saturday, so that, that was a bummer. But then I went right into that Alabama-Tennessee game. And, and folks, I don't know how – those of you who watched all of that – you have a more sturdy heart than I have. Because I'm obviously, now, I do hate watch Alabama every Saturday, it seems like. I try not to. I try not to be that kind of person that just uh, watches solely to see another team fail. But I end up doing it. I end up doing it. Um, and Alabama usually teases you. You know, they're they're oh, they're going to lose to Texas A&M. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, this is the Saturday. They're going to lose to Ole Miss. And they didn't. Uh, that was last year. Of course, they haven't played Ole Miss yet this year. But, oh, oh here it is. They're going to lose to Texas. Ah, Quinn Ewers got hurt. Couldn't pull it off. But, I, other, than, other than that, I don't really have anything invested in that game. It's not like my day is ruined when Alabama wins. It's just I want to see them lose. Because I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a hater, I guess. Um... But I was still, it was such a roller coaster of a game. And if you follow me on Twitter, and you should do that, at JTIMM684, there's your shameless plug, um, then you know that I have become an enormous Hendon Hooker fan. I don't care that he's going to be 25, I think, when, but by the time he gets drafted in the NFL. What I see from him Saturday after Saturday is the ability to throw the short passes, the ability to escape escape pressure, um, and he throws the prettiest deep ball in college football um, because uh, Bryce Young throws a, a nice deep ball, C.J. Stroud throws a nice deep ball, but if you've watched Alabama and Ohio State over the last several years, that they, they scheme so well. And the receivers are so talented that it seems like guys are wide open all the time. Well, when those offenses are clicking, there are guys that there is not a defensive back within 25 yards of him. But on back-to-back Saturdays, I've seen Hendon Hooker throw deep balls that allow the receiver to run themselves open. The ball is placed so perfectly that the receiver has a defensive back on him, but he's able to sprint to the ball and... The, the throw and the receiver just mesh so perfectly. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous deep ball that Hendon Hooker throws. So I've been super impressed. And Saturday was no different. 21 of 30 for 385 yards through the air. Five touchdowns, all to Jalen Hyatt, who had six catches for 207 yards and five touchdowns. Hooker did throw one interception, but it hardly mattered. Um, he, he had a, I don't know who the fumble went on, um, Hooker also ran 14 times for 56 yards. Um, the the fumble loss late in the game was on Hooker, and we're going to get to that. But even that play helped set up something that, that was maybe the most impressive part of the day on Saturday. Uh, we'll flip over and look at some Alabama numbers before I talk 
more about that game. Uh, Bryce Young, 35 of 52, 455 yards and two passing touchdowns. That's obviously nothing to be sad about. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, 24 carries, 103 yards, three touchdowns. So a good day for Alabama offensively as well. Um, we talked a little bit about this being a Heisman showcase. And uh, I, I texted my buddy Justin Baxley, who, who actually co-hosts a Survivor podcast with me. Um, I texted him during the game. I was like, Bryce Young has gotten better, and that's terrifying. Because Bryce Young, I've never been high on Tua as a pro prospect. Um, just watching him, I, I never really felt like he was as good for the pro game as a lot of people did. Uh, again, he relies a lot on receivers just being wide freaking open. And he also rep- requires some stupid defensive back play. Uh, there was an awful lot of plays when Tua was at Alabama where um, if the defensive back wasn't playing so dumb, it would have been an interception. Uh, Clemson had a huge pick six in that, that big, you know, it was in 2019, but it was after the 2018 season when, when Clemson finished that undefeated season. There was a big pick six early in that game, and it was the kind of play that normally the defensive back just doesn't get his head around, and, and Tua completed it uh, that game. Didn't happen. Pick six instead. And and Bryce Young is kind of reminded me that he doesn't throw those interceptions at much, as much, but a lot of his big gains, a lot of his big impressive plays seem to be just the scheme getting receivers incredibly open. On Saturday, I watched him throw into tight coverage over and over and over again. So while I don't think Saturday was the game that you look back on as, yeah, that's where, that's where Bryce Young won, won his second Heisman, he certainly acquitted himself nicely. He looked very good in that game. Um, Hennon Hooker looked better. Hennon that is the kind of game that wins you a Heisman. Um, just absolutely phenomenal. We talked about it being also a showcase for Will Anderson and three tackles, one solo, half a tackle for loss, no sacks. Uh, Tennessee scored 52 points. Tennessee offense did what the Tennessee offense does, even with Will Anderson on the field. And we talked about that. You know, this would be a chance for Will Anderson or Hinton Hooker to, sh- to show that they were the uh, the team to beat. They were the, the the powerhouse in that rivalry, at least, and and you know set up what was to come next. And that <clears throat> also would be a showdown for those two, or those three or four, however many Heisman candidates you want to say there are in that game <clears throat> to showcase. For me, Hinton Hooker comes out on top. But the most impressive thing for me, it, it wasn't in the X's and O's. It wasn't <clears throat> in any particular play. But when we watch these games, and, and we talk, I talked about this last week, every year it seems like there's a team that comes up against Alabama, comes up against Georgia. Usually it's against Alabama because Alabama's been an established team. We're going to get more. We're going to talk about them a lot in this episode. They're the juggernaut. They're the team that everybody's trying to prove themselves against. And you'll have that team, whether it's a Texas A&M, whether it's an Ole Miss, whether it's a Mississippi State, whether it's a Georgia, whether it's an LSU, whoever, who is having their year. Whether it's their 4-0, whether they're 6-0, whether they're 8-0, whether they're 8-1, but they lost a really close non-conference game to a big out-of-conference opponent, something. They're... There's an SEC team that is um, <clears throat> seven and that, that is crept into the top ten, and they get their matchup against Alabama. 
and they're fighting, 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 and a play happens where it's like, yep, that's it. It's over. That's the ball game, folks. And I thought we had that. I thought we had that. It was 42-42 late in the game. Um, Tennessee has the ball and just an awful fumble. Um, Hooker's trying to hand the ball off to a running back. Exchange is bad. I think it was one of those RPO. The one drawback of the RPO is, especially in settings like that, when everybody's amped up, everybody's hyped up, everybody wants to make the big play, all of a sudden those little cues that are supposed to let both players know that this is the read, this is what we're doing, all of a sudden those cues aren't as easy to read anymore. And you see mistakes. And that's what happened. Ball went on the turf. Dallas Turner picks it up, takes it in 11 yards for a fumble return touchdown. Now, Tennessee has led all game at that point. Um, I don't think Alabama had had a lead at that point. At one point, it was 21-7. Then it was 28-10. All Tennessee. All Tennessee. It had been tied. Tennessee responded. Um, Alabama had had a 35-34 lead. Um early in the second quarter or early in the third quarter. But every time Tennessee had an answer, but that felt like the play, right? We've all watched those games. That felt like the play when Alabama goes up 49-42 on a fumble return touchdown with seven minutes and 49 seconds to go. That feels like the end. And it wasn't. And the tide turn in, in Alabama, um, or Tennessee drives down and they get a fourth and one at the Alabama 24 and they decide instead of going for the field goal to take the, the lead at that point or they didn't excuse me they they needed a they needed a touchdown because it was four or eight to go and they were down seven I'm sorry um they go for it and it looked like the pick six and in most, so many games, particularly with Alabama, the pass interference doesn't get called. And everybody who's not an Alabama fan watches the replay. And I'm sure that there are people who aren't Clemson fans that will say this happens with Clemson. I'm sure it happens with Georgia, Ohio State, all those big-name programs, the folks who were trying to beat them say, oh, they get all the calls. But I swear to you, it doesn't happen with anybody like it does Alabama. Where you watch the replay, you're like, well, I mean, that's pass interference anyway. But all right. And he got called. And what? And on the next play, the next play, Hendon Hooker hits Jalen Hyatt for that last touchdown to make it 49-49. And that moment where Hendon Hooker responded, Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee offense watched what for so many teams, for so many players, for so many coaches, the moment where it has slipped away. They saw it. They saw it happen. Hendon Hooker watched it from two feet away. They watched that linebacker probably more than two feet, but from just a few feet away, he watched that linebacker pick up that ball and run in the end zone for what for everybody has been the end of the game. And it wasn't. And he turned around and he marched down the field and Tennessee scored. It had been their game the whole game. They dominated the whole game and they weren't going to let it slip away and they didn't. And then you see the missed field goal by Alabama, which is kind of become a running theme of the Nick Saban era. It's been kind of funny. 
And then Tennessee responds with the last second field goal. Uh, 52-49, the weirdest field goal I've ever seen. I've never seen a field goal spin sideways for 40 yards. Chase McGrath makes the the field goal. Spun sideways, 40-yard field goal, spinning completely end over end, but sideways through the uprights. The strangest field goal I've ever seen made. But Tennessee wins, and it just changes the landscape. Um, Because now Alabama's in that position where they can't lose a second time. Nobody's had two losses and made the playoffs, and I just don't see it happening because there's just enough teams that'll have that'll be undefeated, have one loss, uh, be conference champions. That for at this point, if Alabama loses a second game, they probably will not win the SEC because that's just the way the SEC shakes out usually. Um, and if that's the case, they're not going to go to the playoffs. So Alabama's backs against the wall. Um, Alabama's all the way six. Tennessee comes all the way up to third in the rankings, I believe. Yeah, it's Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, Miss, Ole Miss, TCU, UCLA, and Oregon. Rounding out the top ten. So, that's that game. I spent a lot of time talking about it, but it was just such a huge game and just a roller coaster of emotion down the stretch there. And I can't tell you how many times I tweeted, oh, Tennessee, or goodness, Tennessee, what a drop. You know, just back and forth, back and forth. Oh, what a roller coaster of a game. Um, Michigan gets the big win over Penn State. I, Michigan looks really good. I kind of jinxed them. I turned on the game, and I was like, man, they are just rolling. It was 13 to nothing, and I tweeted something like, guys, Michigan's really good. And within, like, two minutes, it seemed like, uh, Penn State was up 14-13. But Michigan bounces back and really doesn't give up much after that. They win 41-17. to Blake Corum, who I really like. He had a big day for Michigan, but he wasn't even the leading rusher. He went, goodness gracious, what a rushing attack. Blake Corum, 28 carries, 166 yards, and two touchdowns. But the superstar of the day is Donovan Edwards, 16 carries, 173 yards, and two scores. Uh, J.J. McCarthy also had a pretty good day, 17-24, 144 yards. Also ran the ball seven times for 57 yards. He did throw an interception that became a pick six. But it just ended up not mattering much, folks. Michigan's the real deal. Uh, Michigan-Ohio State's going to be massive again this year. Um, Oklahoma finally wins. They beat Kansas. Uh, Kansas is skidding now. That's their second loss in a row. The the bloom is off the rose, as they say. Um, Oklahoma gets right, which is good for them. I Obviously, I'm attached to um, Brent Venables. So it's good to see them get the 52-42 win over Kansas. Kind of right the ship a little bit. Uh, Texas... Are they back? Are they not back? They beat Iowa State 24-21. Um, TCU with another big win. Two overtime win over Oklahoma State. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the Big 12 here in a little bit. Um, but that's that's a good game for the for the Big 12, I think. Uh, you've got two undefeated teams. They face off, go double overtime. The home team wins by three. That doesn't hurt either team. Um, now, the way the Big 12 is with their championship game, one of them is going to. But that's that's honestly how, and, and I don't know that the Big 12 can get two teams in, but that's the way they can. TCU wins this one by three points in double overtime. If they meet again in the Big 12 championship game and, and Oklahoma State beats TCU by three points or six points, you can build a case that either or both of them could get in the playoffs. Um and, and so that's just good for the, that's good for the conference. Both teams come out looking good in that. 
Uh, Max Duggan, unsurprisingly, another big game. He started out a little slow, but he finishes with 23 of 40 for um, 286 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran 11 times for 57 yards and another touchdown. Uh, Spencer Sanders, who I feel like he's been at Oklahoma State for 700 years. This says he's only a senior. Um, it's just that he's been the starter for all four years. He's been logged major time for four years. So it just feels like he's been there forever. Uh, he also ran the ball 11 times for 68 yards and two more scores. So good good Big 12 battle. 43-40 uh, to 40 is that score. Syracuse gets the 24-9 win over NC State uh, to set up a big matchup this week. Of course, uh, Devin Leary is out for NC State, and that hurt him a little bit. Um but a uh, big day receiving for Aronde Gadsden, the second for Syracuse, eight catches, 141 yards, two scores, and the orange roll and, and maintains the momentum. And Kentucky writes the ship, beating Mississippi State 27-17. to um, Big day for Will Levis. Well, okay day, 17-23, 230 yards, one touchdown, one pick. The real big day was for Chris Rodriguez Jr., who also feels like he's been at Kentucky for about a thousand years. Uh, 31 carries, 197 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Mississippi State. Um, let's see what what did, what did they do? Will Rogers, 25 of 37 for 203 yards, one touchdown, one pick. So the Kentucky defense limits Mississippi State to 22 yards. On the ground, 203 through the air. That's an impressive performance by that Kentucky defense. Um, so that is that. Uh, number one, Georgia, I had mentioned them. They beat the bejesus out of Vanderbilt, 55 to nothing. Um, and just a solid day. Stetson Bennett, 24-30, 289 yards, two touchdowns. I am officially off the Stetson Bennett Heisman train. None of these played poorly. He just uh, has just kind of managed the game well. Carson Beck, get, Carson Beck gets a little action. 8 of 11, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and Georgia spreads the ball around in the running game. 192 yards, but four guys had at least 30 yards and just spread the ball around a little bit. Um, so that's that. Let's take a little break. When we come back, let's start focusing in on the games that have the biggest impact on the playoffs and uh, – there's, there's several of those this week. We're really starting to get where the focus is narrowing a little bit on who's got a chance, who doesn't, and we're going to look at that. We are back. Uh, I told you we were going to talk about the games that this week that matter the most for the playoffs, and I'm going to start uh, because this week it's actually chronologically correct. Clemson and Syracuse play at noon. On ABC, in Death Valley, two undefeated teams. It's been a long time since the ACC had two undefeated teams going head-to-head this late in the season. Um, and Clemson's number five in the country. Uh, Syracuse, number 14. Big game. Um, I said earlier this week that in a Facebook group that I'm in that uh, low-key of, of the contenders, Clemson has, has the best resume so far. And people laughed at that. And, you know, you're just a Clemson fan, and I am. But if, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I'm not somebody who bangs the ACC drum. I told you, in fact, that the ACC wasn't that good. The ACC didn't deserve a playoff team last year. Even when Wake Forest was, quote-unquote, on the edge, I, I knew that they weren't a playoff team. Um, I've been critical of Clemson. 
that's not what this is. Clemson's beaten two teams that are currently in the top fifty. Well, uh, in the top twenty-three, in the top twenty-five. Um, <clears throat> at that time, NC State was hanging around in the top fifteen, but they're not now. Um, uh, NC State taking that loss to Syracuse kind of hurts them. Um, but uh, with Devin Leary, NC State was still a top fifteen team because the results had checked out. Um, you know, Clemson beat Wake Forest and NC State. Their only losses were to Clemson. Uh, Florida State's another team. They've got three losses now, but it's because they've lost to Clemson, Wake Forest, and NC State. And the most lopsided one was 31-21. to 21. Well, holding the Wake Forest offense to 31 points is really impressive. So Florida State's a good team. Now, Clemson beat them... Last week, the final score was 34 to 28. It was actually a bigger spread than that um, because it was, let's see, Clemson scored to make it 34 to 14 at the end of the or middle of the third quarter. And it stayed there um, a couple minutes into the fourth quarter. And then it was 34 21. And Clemson kind of played with their food a little bit. But that was more on the coaches than the players. This was not Clemson was just unable to stop Florida State and suddenly couldn't move the ball. They were moving the ball fine. They just got really conservative and tried to tried to play not to lose instead of playing to win for a few minutes there, and it, it really kind of cost them a little bit. And, and it's it's going to cost them with voters because it's a 34-28 win over Florida State. But on their end, Florida State did what they had to do. They kept grinding. They kept playing. Um, Jordan Travis is a really impressive quarterback. Um, I He's... He doesn't have the weapons around him that he really needs to to succeed. But when they're open, he finds them. And when they're not open, he finds a way out of pressure. And he gave Clemson some trouble. This was not the Clemson defense playing poorly that led to Florida State climbing back in that game and having an onside kick there at the end. It was just Jordan Travis making plays. And the the, the Florida State – uh, playmakers, even though they're not as as polished as some of the others in the country, um, just making plays when when their team needed them. And but again, Florida State's another team. That's five teams in that division that are either ranked in the top twenty-five or could be if they weren't in that division. If Florida was in the coastal, they'd still be undefeated. I'm, I've watched a, enough of that other division to know that I really feel like Florida State's still undefeated if they don't have to play Wake, NC State, and Clemson back-to-back. <clears throat> That's just the way I think. That's just the way I feel about it. Um, so... And then you've got Syracuse that's 5-0. That's and oh. So that's a, that's a good division. I think that division may be the second toughest in the country behind the uh, Big Ten... East, I guess it is the one with the Big Ten, the division with Ohio State, and Michigan. Because we thought the SEC West would be that, but let's look at the SEC West. You know, if we want to, if we want to talk about divisions, let's look at the SEC West. Alabama, obviously, very good. Ole Miss is good, but who have they beat? Who have who has Ole Miss beaten? They beat Kentucky, that I don't think is is really all that good. They had a good win last week. Beat Auburn, Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech. Central Arkansas, Troy. I mean, maybe Ole Miss is good, but are they that much better than NC State 
when Devin Leary's going, are they that much? If Ole Miss and Wake Forest played each other, who wins? LSU lost to Florida State. Mississippi State just lost to a suspect Kentucky team. Um, who's their other loss? They lost to LSU, who lost, again, to Florida State. Um, then Texas A&M. They're nothing special. Arkansas is not as good as I thought they were. And then Auburn. So I really do think the ACC Atlantic is one of the toughest divisions in college football. And I don't think any division has the one-two punch of, uh, well, maybe maybe SEC East with Georgia and Tennessee. So you got to look there. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the one-two punch of Ohio State and Michigan, that's two teams that are legit national championship contenders. After that, meh, I don't think Penn State's that good. Um, so, top to bottom, I think the ACC Atlantic might be the toughest division in college football, but it, nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to agree with me on that. I'm on an island. There are lots of people that are listening that just like rolled their eyes so hard they had an accident. Hopefully you're not driving while you listen to me say that, but I really think the ACC Atlantic, one of the toughest divisions in football, largely because the results are checking out. What you see in the ACC is you'll have a team like a Wake Forest. They're undefeated. They look great. They play against Clemson. They play close. And then the next week, they get beat by 30 by Duke. Well, that hasn't happened with Wake Forest. They've continued to play well. NC State played well after they played Clemson. Devin Leary got hurt, and it was a different story. Um, I want to see how Florida State responds now. That'll be big for the for that division, is to see how Florida State responds now. Um they're through the weeds a little bit. They're off this week, thankfully. I think that's good for them to be off this week. And then next week they have the game against Georgia Tech. Come out and establish them. Just come out and establish yourself. Come out and remind everybody. Georgia Tech's losing to Virginia right now, I think. Yeah, it's 16-9. Seems like a thrilling game. That's why I'm not watching it. I'm recording a podcast instead. But Florida State has Georgia Tech, Miami. Then they've got Syracuse. That's going to be big for both of those teams. Then Louisiana and Florida to close out the season. So... That's my my one pitch for uh, for the ACC. You know, I don't do it much. I don't do it much, but I just this seemed like a time where I wanted to do that. But again, that's at noon. Clemson is the ACC's best playoff chance. Obviously, Syracuse could do it. I don't think they really have the games, even if they were to beat Clemson. Now, if they go undefeated, you know, any team in a Power Five conference goes undefeated, they're going to get some looks. Um, but but they've got a little bit of a gauntlet coming up. They've got Clemson on Saturday, then Notre Dame, which is not great, but they're talented. Then uh, Pitt, which I think is still a pretty good football team. Then Florida State, then Wake, then Boston College. So, uh, but yeah. So if Syracuse comes through that undefeated, then I think maybe I think maybe they're a team that, that could be in the playoffs. But that, they don't they don't have a kind of schedule or a pedigree that they can lose one and still get in. That's the first big playoff implication game because I really think for the ACC, they need Clemson to win that game. And Clemson obviously has to win it. After last year, they've still got – could they lose to Syracuse and, and still get in the playoffs? Sure. But it gets harder. Um, so and it's just, it would just be impressive to come through this stretch where they play the four toughest – the four other toughest teams in the conference and four of the top – I think top 20 teams in the country. I think at the end of the season um, – we could very easily, especially if Devin Leary is able to come back or if NC State's able to figure out something on offense. Um, Devin Leary might be done for the year. I'll have to look at that. But um, 
if the uh, if NC State can figure out something on offense, um, I think you could see five teams from that division ranked if the if the results happen a certain way. Um, so finishing off that stretch of playing those other four teams back to back to back to back, uh, I think Boston College was wedged in there for Clemson, um, but all of that to say um, to see those teams play to see Clemson come through that stretch undefeated would just be an impressive way to to kind of bounce back from last season when they when they struggled so much around this same point in the season next up is UCLA and Oregon UCLA is 9 Oregon is 10 that's at 330 on Fox um the important thing here is that when you think about the Pac-12 is how they do their championship game. It's no longer divisions. It's number one in the conference versus number two in the conference. So this is going to go a long way to determine who those teams are. Uh, these are both undefeated in the conference. They're both 3-0. and But you look at USC, USC's 4-1. and Why is that important? Because they're just closer to the end. Now, they do still have to play UCLA, but... Um, It'll be really important for UCLA and Oregon. Whoever wins this game can kind of keep up the pace with USC because USC's racing to the finish line, particularly for UCLA that has to play USC later in the year. Um, it's vital for them to not drop another game because I, it kind of shaping up with the way that, that conference is. Utah just handed USC their first loss. You've got UCLA and Oregon are 3-0. and USC's four and one. Utah is three and one. It might be difficult to get to this conference title game with two losses. So, with UCLA still having to play um, USC on November nineteenth, it's vital that they get this win. But at the same time, Oregon can't mess around because Oregon has uh, Utah on. November 19th. So that's another big Saturday in the Pac-12. We'll talk a lot about the Pac-12 that week. So the winner of this game has a kind of stays alive in the race. Even though they're the two undefeated teams, they're kind of behind the eight ball because they have more Pac-12 games left than Utah and USC do. And even though USC lost to Utah, they've got that game in the rearview mirror now. Um, they don't have that hanging out in front of them. And Utah's got the win over USC, so that's even even better for them. And, but for the conference, they need UCLA in particular. It would be great for the Pac-12 for UCLA to keep running and, and, and go undefeated. I've heard some people, even some people I respect, say that I don't think that they don't think Oregon can get into the playoffs after the way they lost to Georgia. And, and I, I don't think that's true. We've seen some really bad losses. Some teams with some really bad losses get into the playoffs. Uh Several national champions. I mean, 14, Ohio State had a bad loss to Virginia Tech early in the season. Uh, 15, Alabama had a loss. I think, I think that one might have been Ole Miss. I don't remember. Um, 16, Clemson had lost to Pitt pretty late in the year, too. That was one of the last couple weeks of the season. 17, Alabama had a loss to Auburn that kept them out of the SEC championship game. Um... 18, 19, and 20. Teams were all undefeated. Um, but 
And 21 was a little bit different, a, a different sort of loss than what we had really ever seen. So it's tough to compare to that. But if you can lose to a bad Virginia Tech team and still get in the playoffs, I don't think getting shellacked by Georgia in week one with a new coach and a new quarterback and new so much new. If, if Oregon runs the table in the Pac-12, beats UCLA, uh, then beats them again in the conference championship game or beats USC in the conference championship game or, or whoever, I think Oregon – if Oregon doesn't get in, it won't be because of that loss to Georgia. It'll just be because other other teams had a better resume. So I guess it's sort of a loss because of the loss to Georgia, but I don't think the loss to Georgia disqualifies them because um, it's just such a good team. Also at 3.30, this time on ABC, you've got number 20, Texas, against number 11, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, again, that loss to TCU, I don't think they're out of it. If they can win out, they might even get another crack at TCU. If they've got a three-point double overtime loss on the road to TCU and then they turn around and beat the Horned Frogs in the Big 12 title game, Oklahoma State's a playoff team, um, especially because of how good Texas has looked. Um, they've still got uh, – I think they already beat Kansas State, but um, the Big 12 is good enough that if you go 12-1 and with a conference title win and that conference title win is avenging your only loss, I, I don't think that that will keep them out of the playoffs. But they've got to beat Texas – and Texas is good, y'all. Texas is is my Utah, sort of, from last year, where I talked about how Utah was the team that is kind of a – they're an emblem, and Texas is that team this year. They're an emblem of what college football has always been missing. Is if you watch that first quarter of Texas-Alabama, Quinn Ewers was doing what Hendon Hooker did to Alabama um, last week. But the Texas defense was stopping the Alabama offense for most of the game. That Texas defense looked really good. But the problem with it was Hudson Card is not near as good as Quinn Ewers, and he was hurt. And then they lost the game to Texas Tech because of similar reasons. But in any other sport, in any other level of football, a team losing two games early because their quarterback was out, they'd still have a shot at a title. It's not that way in college football. I think it will be that way when the playoffs expand. There's been some conversations of that. But, so, all that to say, Texas is a scary team for the Big 12 because I think they really might have been the best team in the conference. And they might win that conference title. But they're going to be 11-2 and two if they do with a loss to Texas Tech, and that ain't going to be good enough to get them in the playoffs. Um, so Big 12 has to be terrified of Texas because it's the worst possible scenario for them. Texas wins the conference, keeps them out of the keeps the Big 12 out of the playoffs, then runs off to the SEC. Um, it's nightmare fuel for the Big 12. So they're they would never tell you this publicly, but they're cheering hard for Oklahoma State on Saturday at 3:30 on ABC. Um. 7 o'clock on ESPN, Mississippi State's number 24. They're playing number 6, Alabama. I think Mississippi State has the kind of offense that in the past I would be telling you, or if Alabama had beaten Tennessee last week, I'd be telling you, hey, look out for Mississippi State. Uh, Will Rogers and, and that Mike Leach offense, they he flings the ball all over the yard. But not only did they lose to Kentucky last week, but Alabama lost to Tennessee, and we've talked about that. Um, it's been a couple years. Uh, Alabama last lost two regular season games in 2019. 
But if you recall, that required Joe Burrow existing in college with that incredible LSU offense, that record-setting LSU offense. We've never seen anything like that. Just absolutely loaded. With guys who are contributing at the NFL level right now. Um, not only did, he, did you have that, though, you had the Tua injury that, that cost him the game against uh, that cost them the game against Auburn. And even with both of those things being true, even with the Tua injury and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and, 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 it was still, and uh, Jordan Jefferson was on, or Justin Jefferson was on that team too. Alabama lost two games by a combined eight points. So that's the last time they lost two regular season games. They haven't lost back-to-back games since the end of the 2013 season when they lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Uh, then, didn't go to the SEC championship game because they lost to Auburn, and that was before the playoffs, so they certainly weren't going to the national championship game. That was actually the year Florida State beat Auburn in the national championship game around the same time that Alabama was losing to Oklahoma. So they lost back-to-back games 2013, but it was the last game of the regular season and then a bowl game against Oklahoma. They haven't lost back-to-back games in the regular season since Nick Saban's first year at Alabama in 2007. I would be utterly shocked if it happened this Saturday. I don't see it. Alabama's a, a pretty big favorite, I, w- I would assume. Um, they should be. They're 21-point favorites. It's in Tuscaloosa. They're going to be playing angry. They might win by 31 or 41. I don't know how bad this one's going to be, but I think it's going to be pretty bad. Um, obviously, it would just change the the landscape of college football because if Alabama loses a second straight game, they are out of the playoffs. It's not going to happen. They probably can't even win the West at that point. Um, because at that point, Ole Miss doesn't even have to uh, doesn't even have to beat Alabama. They just have to not lose to anybody else. Um, because uh, Ole Miss is undefeated, they only have LSU, Texas A and M, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State. So that, that's not easy by any stretch. But at that point, they can, if they can still lose to Alabama and win the conference and win the division. That's a tough road for Alabama, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think Mississippi State or Alabama is going to beat Mississippi State, and it's going to be pretty bad. But that I still have that on the list, mainly because I wanted to point out that how ridiculous it would be for Alabama to lose this game because it would be something that hadn't happened in 15 years. Running it all up, eight o'clock, FS1, Fox Sports One, seven number 17, Kansas State, number eight, TCU. Uh, another one, Big Ten badly needs TCU to keep winning. Uh, TCU keeps winning because they have already beaten Texas, I believe. Let me double-check that, but I think that already happened. Um, Let's double-check that. I may have just imagined that. You know how I I do imagine things sometimes. No, TCU and Texas is still looming on November 12th, so I was just absolutely wrong about that. It was Oklahoma I was thinking about that TCU beat. Um, But the Big 12... Badly needs uh, TCU to keep winning, but Kansas State's not a bad team either. This the Big Twelve again is a pretty good, pretty good conference right now. Especially if Oklahoma, uh, West Virginia got a big win last week. They were losing to Baylor when when I recorded my podcast, and they bounced back and won forty three to forty. So they're not bad. Uh, JT Daniels, somebody to watch Oklahoma if they've figured things out. That's added on to four ranked teams, including Kansas State, who only has one loss. Um. It's weird. It's a weird loss to Tulane. Uh, so that that may mean that this little stretch they've got going, they've got a nasty stretch. They've got TCU on Saturday, 
followed by Oklahoma State the next Saturday, followed by Texas the next Saturday, and then Baylor, and then West Virginia, um, and then Kansas. So um, this could be a Kansas State team that, that's sitting there at uh, 5-1 and one in late October, ranked number 17 in the country, that ends up 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, going, what the heck happened? Um, so that rounds out Saturday. So that's one, two, three, five games that I think are the most impactful for the playoffs. Um, right now, it's shaping up. <clears throat> a lot hinges, a lot. We're going to talk about this game at length when it happens. But a lot hinges on that Georgia-Tennessee matchup. How that matchup goes, and that is in two weeks. Um, not this week. Of course, next week you have Georgia-Florida and then Georgia-Tennessee on November 5th. is It's just massive. Um, because not only in the fact that it's probably going to be two top two teams by that point, uh, because Tennessee is off. You know, they play UT Martin this Saturday. Then they play Kentucky. They, they should beat Kentucky. That That's an interesting one because Kentucky's defense has done some uh, impressive things this year. But if Kentucky, if Tennessee can get through those two games, there's a chance that's a top two game. Um, be tough to get past Ohio State, especially since Ohio State has Iowa this week. I didn't even mention that game because I, I, I think Ohio State's going to – Iowa offense is terrible. I mean, the Ohio State is, is 30-point favorite. They could easily clear that. And then Ohio State has Penn State on the 29th. That's, it's possible that game is, is close. I don't think so because I don't think Penn State's very good. Um, and then Northwestern on the same weekend that, that Tennessee plays Georgia. So that's at least a top three game between Georgia and Tennessee. So on top of that, um, because Tennessee has will have played both Georgia and Alabama, that goes a long way towards determining the playoffs. Because we have seen that the committee will put two teams from the same conference in the playoffs, but I just don't think they will put three teams from the same conference in the playoffs. Even if it's a situation where Tennessee beats Georgia and it's Tennessee-Alabama in the conference championship game and Alabama beats Tennessee by two points in the conference championship game and all the the numbers say that those three teams should get in the con- in the playoffs. One of them's not getting in, um, and that's a pretty specific scenario. But a lot hinges on two games. You got Georgia, Tennessee, and then Ohio State, Michigan down the road. Um, a lot hinges on those two games because Georgia, Tennessee obviously decides who plays Alabama in the in the uh, SEC championship game. And, and the lot's going to be sorted out there. And then Ohio State, Michigan, one of those teams is, is almost guaranteed to be in the playoffs. It's just a matter of will two be able to get in. Um, so the playoffs are starting to clarify themselves. Some of it is stuff we expected. Names like Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, Alabama. But the fact that Ole Miss is looming at seven, Tennessee sitting at three, <clears throat> and then TCU and UCLA at eight and nine, and Oregon at ten, and Ohio, Oklahoma State at 11, and USC at 12. This is a deep, deep college football season down the stretch, and I don't think you can rule out anybody down to, like, 14. Even if Wake and Syracuse are huge long shots, I don't think you can absolutely rule them out at this point if chaos reigns. So, 
Um, that's all I got for today. Uh, a little bit longer episode, I think, but there was just so much to unpack from last weekend and this weekend. Hope everybody has a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.